Dear Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this morning. And we thank you for our marriages. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, as we try to bring the two of them together, that you would give us insight and help, and that you would use what happens here, dear Lord, to bear good fruit in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, uh, we're going to talk about a time to fight, a time to leave, and a time to not submit. Um, It's really easy for Christian people to focus on the uh, the command in Ephesians 5, wives be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. And, um, and, you know, to take that in a kind of absolute way. The fact is, it's, it's a, there are many things in Scripture where we, we can't take them in an absolute way. We have to take them in light of the rest of Scripture. Uh, we see this, for instance, in uh, the issue of being submissive to civil authorities where the Bible teaches us that every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. And I think there they mean the wrath of Uh, the civil authority. Not only because you fear getting punished by the government, but also because it's the right thing to do. So the same kind of uh, language, even the same Greek words, and the same thing you can find in 1 Peter 2, that was Romans 13. In 1 Peter 2, therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing you may be doing good, you may be put to silence you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. So this kind of language is frequent. And yet, we have so many clear examples in the Bible of how people righteously didn't submit to authorities. The Hebrew midwives, when they were commanded to kill the Hebrew children, uh, Rahab hiding the Israelite spies in the story of Joshua and Jericho, Ehud assassinated King Eglon in Judges 3, 
Um, Obadiah, the prophet, hid the prophet, hundred prophets from the king who wanted to kill them. Jehosheba hid little Joash from the queen. Jeremiah disobeyed the king and prophesied that they should surrender to Babylon. Daniel refused, I mean, Daniel refused to listen to the king and prayed even when the king said no one can pray to anyone but to the, to, uh, the statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the golden image. Peter and John refused the order of the authorities to stop preaching. So it's clear that these commands are not to be taken as absolute. They're the basic principle, but they are, they, there are exceptions. And so it's important that we keep that in mind as we approach this issue of um, submitting to a husband's authority as well. Um, it, it might be rare. And hopefully in a, in a godly marriage it's very rare. But there is a time to fight. There is a time to leave. There's a time to not submit. The Bible uh, talks about the time to leave. Jesus says in Matthew 19, he's talking about the evil of divorce. And he says, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So here's Jesus. His point is to show that divorce is evil. But he throws in this caveat, except for immorality. So it's a different, there's an exception to the idea that divorce is uh, wrong. And that's in the case of sexual immorality. And then Paul adds another exception in 1 Corinthians 7, 15. Yet if the unbelieving spouse leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So you're not obligated to remain in a marriage if the other person's unwilling to, leave, to live with you. And, um, you know, the PCA did a, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, PCA produced a paper on marriage and divorce and remarriage. And in it, they, uh, they discuss the issue of abuse and uh, basically say that, as, and I agree, that, that uh, abuse can get to the point where it's on a par with abandonment. That it's really a form of abandonment. And so um, the point is 
there is a time to leave, a time to let it go, time to walk away from your marriage. Um, when, when we go through a class like this, there's, you know, when we're emphasizing working on the marriage and fixing the problems and um, putting up with the faults of your spouse. And several times during the class, I said, there are exceptions to this. There's a time to leave. There's a time to not put up with it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. That's what the subject is. That's why we're dealing with this subject. There is an exception, and I want to just unpack those exceptions a little bit so that we can um, acknowledge, because in the Christian community, there have been so many times when people have felt completely trapped. People who are in really abusive, dangerous situations have felt like they had no place to go biblically. And I think it's because they didn't understand the scriptures well enough. And so I want to make it clear that the scriptures themselves carve out a place for this. Um, I think there's a time to fight. And I don't even just mean the time to argue. Um, obviously, we hope that no marriage ever involves violence of any kind. But it's, if, you know, if a woman with her little ones is confronted by a bear, she's going to fight the bear if it if need be, to try to protect her children. At least most women that I know, even though fighting a bear is the last thing they ever want to do, except see the bear, you know, let the bear have their, her children. That's the worst thing. So, and so it is. If, if, uh, if a husband represents the kind of threat that a bear would to your children, it's time to fight. It's time to put yourself in between. Now, it is so easy to abuse this exception, like all exceptions. And that's why the Bible doesn't even acknowledge these exceptions in the rule. When it says to submit, it doesn't say, unless he's being like this. But we see the pattern of scripture and the way that people acted in a way that is contrary to the command and we see that that's not what the command means therefore that, it, that there's absolutely no exception um, so you know it would be easy to say well my husband spanks them too hard so I'm going to fight my husband and not let him. It's so easy to misuse the exception. Um, but there is a time to stand between your husband and your children. 
It's just, you got to be very careful. You have to be very careful. Um, and same thing with a wife. You know, there's a, there's a time for a husband to stand between his, his wife and his children. Um, you know, if, if uh, when I say when the threat is similar, I mean, if you think your husband or your wife is about to kill the children, obviously, you would resort even to that extreme. And so we, when it comes to marriage, we have to remember that marriage is temporary. Marriage is secondary. Marriage is not the ultimate thing. There is life beyond marriage. Even if the marriage breaks up, there's still life after that. You can't hold on to your marriage like an idol, like you can't live without it. You fight for your marriage, but you fight out of conscience and out of love, not because there's, you can't survive outside the marriage. It's far better to become the enemy of your spouse than it is to become the enemy of Christ. If, if it takes becoming the enemy of Christ in order to keep peace with your husband, then there must be war. And Jesus talked about this. He said, you know, he talked about how he's going to split people up. He's going to break relationships. He's going to turn people against each other. It's really interesting that in 1 Corinthians 7, the verse I read about how a spouse is obligated to let go when the other one, when one spouse becomes a believer and the other one's still a non-believer and the non-believer doesn't want to continue, that, you know, obviously you try your best maybe to convince them or whatever, but you have to let them go eventually. Well, notice that that command doesn't say, you know, become a Christian. Unless, of course, it's going to cause so much turmoil in your marriage that your spouse would leave you. In that case, you know, either don't become a Christian or become a Christian in your heart and just don't tell anyone. He doesn't say that. It doesn't even consider that option. Yes, become a Christian. Try to save your marriage. But if you can't, so be it. It shows us what's really important. The example of Abigail and Nabal is an interesting one. Here you have this man whose name means fool and who lives up to his name. And her husband, I'm sorry, her, his wife, Abigail, you know, is still married to him. She's a virtuous woman, a righteous woman. How they ended up, I don't know. I you know, it could be that he was a promising-looking young man like when they first got married. Who knows? She might not have made a foolish decision. But the name maybe should have given it away. <laughs> but whatever. So she acts contrary to her husband. Her husband refuses David the help that David asked for. And then Abigail finds out that her husband refuses the help. And she goes behind his back, apparently, and helps David in the way that, that 
her husband refused to help. She is, you know, doing it every sense of the word. She's not being a submissive wife. But in the story, she doesn't, there's nothing negative about her in the story. The story treats her as she's a hero. And Nabal is the, is the one that's the bad guy. So, you know, that story teaches us, again, that these things aren't absolute. And that, uh, that you know, but again, obviously, I would, I would say, I would just make the assumption, I, I believe that probably 90% of all the people who have used Abigail to justify being unsubmissive to the husbands were probably using it as an excuse. Who knows? But the point is, it's easy to do that. So just having an example really isn't um, sufficient to just say, well, you don't have to keep the command. You don't have to worry about what the rest of the Bible says because if you can, if you can convince yourself that he's acting foolishly, then you're justified. No, that's just not what it is. In fact, I go back to that command in 1 Peter 2 where it says to slaves, be submissive to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Now, obviously, there's a time when you're not submissive to your masters. You know, if your master wants to cook your children for dinner, you don't just say, okay, well, I'm supposed to be submitting to my master. No, you fight him tooth and nail. But not just because he's harsh. Anyway. I want to read you another passage from Deuteronomy 13. This is verses 6 to 10. If your brother, your mother's son, or your son or daughter, or the wife you cherish, or the friend who is as your own soul. So it's a list of people. Your brother your um, mother's son. And that's repeating the same thing. It's a positive. Your brother's, your mother, I mean, sorry, your brother, your son or your daughter, the wife, but not just your wife, but the wife you cherish. So this is a, a wife who is someone whose husband really loves her, really has a bond with her, or the friend who is as your own soul. So this is, you know, what did uh, Anne call, call the, uh, the Anne of Green Gables? Bosom, bosom buddy or bosom friend, is it? Yeah. Anyway, this is someone that's, you know, most people don't even have one of these. But this is that person. If they entice you secretly... If one of these people entice you secretly, saying, let us go and serve other gods, gods of the peoples around, who are around you, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, and your eye shall not pity him, nor shall you spare him or hide him. 
but you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be the first against him to put him to death, and afterwards the hand of all the people. So you shall stone him to death, because he has sought to seduce you from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Obviously these laws apply to us in a, in a different way in this age where you know, there's the, uh, the, the civil authorities aren't, aren't uh, you know, we're not living in a theocracy. But you can see the principle behind this that, that uh, there's a time to turn against you're the one you love on earth more than anyone else in the world. And not only to turn against them, but to oppose them. And that is when they tell you, but and that's when they begin to take God's place and they say, I want you to do what I say instead of do what God says. There's no compromise when it comes to that. Do not listen. Do not yield. Do not pity. Do not even spare them. Now, so I think, you know, the scriptures are clear that there isn't time for exceptions in these principles. Hopefully none of our marriages will ever get to the point where those exceptions, where it's the time to use those exceptions. However, we need to know that they're there. They're important just in terms of the allegiance of our own heart. But also, the Christian community needs to know that they're there. Because I can guarantee you, even if you never experience the time for these exceptions. You will know people who do experience the times, times for these exceptions. And so, you know, the more Christians know and have thought through this and are alert to this, the more help we're going to be for each other as we, you know, seek to give good counsel and to be good friends to our to believers that are around us. And to our children. You know, your, our children will grow up and get married. And they might have experiences. What happens when people's children um, get into marriages? And then their problems. 99% and more the parents are on the side of their child. Which is so contrary to the scriptures. You know, it doesn't matter if it's the child that you brought into the world and you love more than anything. If they oppose Christ, then you must oppose them. And I don't, I'm not saying that you stone them or that you, you know, are mean to them. What I'm saying is, if there's a dispute that has to do with Christ, you are always on the side of the person who is for Christ. Because you are for Christ, and we have given ourselves to him. And there's no compromise in that, ever. 
Now, one last issue on this, under the heading, who is the judge? Because we can see that there's a rule, we can see there's exceptions. Well, who decides? Who decides when the time for an exception is? Sometimes it's obvious. Other times, it's not at all. In fact, you know, there are times when, when uh, two people divorce in the PCA. One session says it's fine, it's legitimate, and another session would say it's not. So there are, you know, it, it, the principles are pretty obvious and clear. But sometimes the actual situation is so complicated and so nuanced that, that uh, you know, I, I know myself that there, are, that there are, are cases that I've changed my opinion on over the years of my own ministry. You know, things that happened early in my ministry, and now I look at it differently. So, um, there are difficult choices. So let me just say things about this question, who is the judge? The first thing to say is that, obviously, God is the judge. God knows the heart. God knows what motivates. He knows when someone's doing something for his sake and when someone's doing something for their own sake. And, uh, and so ultimately, we will all stand before God and not, no one will have a, an argument with God on that day. And uh, th there's no place to appeal. You know, this is the last judgment. So um, that's the first thing to say. Um, so, you know, there may be a time when a, a person, a Christian, gets divorced. Um, and, uh, and where a lot of people think it's wrong. But ultimately, God is the judge, and they have, they're going to have to answer to God. It may be wrong. It may be that there were things that people didn't know about that they can't talk about for one reason or another. So we've got to be very careful about that. Um, and, and, uh, and discreet and humble. And I know it's a hard time to do that for a lot of people because it's a time when compromise is so prevalent in the church. Finding the easy way is so prevalent so that if a church doesn't discipline, most likely it's because they're copping out. But you don't know that. You know, it's just you've got to be careful. Um, maybe this is the, the one time where it's not. The one time out of 100 where that's not what's going on here. They've done their due diligence. They've been faithful. They just aren't giving everybody the information because of love. But um, obviously, the elders of a church have to make decisions according to what they think is biblical 
and loving. And so, and I don't mean those are in contrast, um, but sometimes they make, make a decision that's, that's the person who's involved disagrees with. Um, I personally know of situations where sessions have said, you know, you can get divorced when I didn't think that they had a right to get divorced. I know of times when sessions have said, you have to stay together, you have to live with him when I felt like there was justification for the, her to leave. Um, the, se the sessions of the church have to humbly do what they believe is right and the person has to humbly do what they believe is right. And, you know, sometimes that means that a person gets excommunicated unjustly. And that is grievous. But it happens. And um, there's, there, you know, we're just going to have to live with that reality. Um, my own, my own um, rule of thumb is I consider difficult cases of marriages is that I try to put myself into the heads of PCA elders. And I, said, I say, will there be virtual unanimity among PCA elders? about this case. And if there would, then I think we should act. However, if there would be a lot of disagreement among PCA elders around the country, then I'd say, I'm going to be, I'm going to give the people some freedom here because I'm not in this situation they're the ones who have to bear the brunt of whatever happens, whatever they do. They're going to have to live their lives going on to the future. And, uh, and if I don't have pretty clear confidence of what, um, it do, if it doesn't seem obvious to me that there's a right and a wrong in the situation, then I'll give them the freedom to make the choice. So, Any thoughts or questions about this? We'll just stick together today since no couples are here except me. Yeah. Of course, it's only a good standard if you're in a trustworthy denomination. You know, so, uh, and I count PCA as a trustworthy denomination. Um, but if, if you were in the PCUSA, you know, you couldn't apply that because it would more often give you the wrong answer than the right answer. Um, so, you'd have to apply a different standard like, you know, people who are basically on the same page biblically and spiritually as I am. Okay. 
If there's nothing, then let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we talk about things that uh, we hope we never have to be involved in. But we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have protected us from um, some of the worst of the things that can happen. And uh, pray that your mercies would continue in the marriages that are represented here. And we pray, dear Lord, that you would uh, help your church at large to uh, honor you in all things, even uh, when things in a marriage get ugly. We pray for wisdom. We pray for faith. We pray for courage. Of course, Lord, we pray first and foremost for protection. We pray all this in Jesus' name.